This is an open source project and we're calling it a site editing toolkit to build real-time live editing functionality into your site. The way we see it working in the future of content management is you would go to your blog and you would you know, go into edit mode and add a new post. And then you'd be looking at a fresh blog post with like a, maybe a dummy title and an empty body and you'd just start writing there. There's often a battle between developers and non-developers about you know, what tool you should use. But you know, the way we see content management is that it doesn't need to be a battle between these two groups of people. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the call, we got Scott Gallant from Forestry slash Tina CMS. And then also we got uh, Jordan Patterson as well, also from the same company. So Scott, tell us uh, why you're here and what you do. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Jordan and I started Forestry.io a few years ago. Forestry.io is a content management system that's backed by Git for the Jamstack, and that's why we're on the show. You know, we see ourselves as part of the crew that's carrying this movement forward from you know legacy stacks to modern stack uh, for web development. Very cool. So you're CEO Scott, like you've done that title, and then Jordan, you're CTO. Correct. And uh, so, like, what is your so role at at Forestry today? Picking technology stack, making technical decisions. I still I'm actually still doing a lot of development, which is great because that's what I like doing. But I also get pulled into meetings more often than I like, but apparently that's par for the course. So Yeah, fair enough. And uh how big is uh forestry today? So I guess I assume smaller since you're still knees deep in hands and code? Um yeah, so we're fourteen I think at the moment. We just had new person start yesterday. Um, so I think that, I think that brings us to fourteen. Nice, congratulations! And uh, so Scott, you had actually reached out specifically about Tina CMS, which was actually just launched uh, a few weeks ago at Jamstack SF. So do you want to go ahead and give us an intro on what is Tina or who is Tina? I guess is the correct Jeopardy saying. Sure, Tina CMS. Tina is an acronym. It's a recursive acronym. Do you know what that means, Brian? Well, I know more about recursion because I always fail those. That's why I can't get a job at Google. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead and tell me what that means. Okay, so the first it's an acronym, but the first word of the acronym is Tina. You know, it uses its own name in the acronym. Oh, gotcha. You know, much like PHP is, was PHP hypertext preprocessor, I think, and GNU, not Unix. So I'm not going to tell you the answer, but if you can figure it out by the end of the chat here, we'll give you bonus points. It's, an, it's a recursive acronym. Okay. Uh, and it's Tina CMS. Uh, so what Tina CMS is, it is this is an open source project and we're calling it a, a, like a site editing toolkit. It's less of a CMS and more of a toolkit to build real-time live editing functionality into your site. So you can imagine like the traditional CMS is a, is a separate system that you build that talks to your content and your site is a separate thing. Like now that we have this, head, we live in a headless world where these two things are decoupled. But with Tina, you actually bolt on editing ability onto your site, so your your editors can kind of go into edit mode and live edit the site. Now, this happens through two ways. One is through this kind of sidebar UI that exposes fields, where they edit these fields, and you can kind of see the page update in real time. 
but also we gave developers the ability to drop in like editable regions. So when we were user testing this, we, we found that, okay, writing long form content with this little sidebar UI isn't that great. So if you're writing a blog post or documentation, you kind of don't want to be confined to the small little UI. So we allowed, again, we, we built this live in-page mode so you can edit a blog post much like you'd edit a Medium post. And uh, that's what Tina is. It's this like, live editing experience with these two solutions, you know, in-page mode combined with this like, auxiliary UI. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It sort of makes sense. And what I've, when I'm looking at like the UI instead of the examples, like I, I sort of got the gist of like, you can add this to an existing. So you, you mentioned in the site Gatsby and Next.js as examples. Mm-hmm. Uh, are these the only examples that Tina works with, or are there, is that just sort of the example she led with? Uh, yeah, those are the only two at the moment that are officially supported. But um, really, I think we could probably make it work with any React SPA. Okay, but we do have plans for view support as well uh, in the near future, and then I can even see potential for us to start supporting older static site generators like Hugo and Jekyll. Yeah, so Brian, like I'm sure your listeners know that you work at GitHub. Yes. If you were to, you know, say you wanted to add a new blog post to the the GitHub blog, the way we see it working in the future of content management is you would go to your blog and you would, you know, go into edit mode and add a new post. And then you'd be looking at a fresh blog post on the GitHub blog with like a, maybe a, a dummy title and an empty body, and you just start writing there. And that's where you know that's where you do all your content editing, like in page. And when you click save, it right now you know would commit that to your repo. Um, in the future, maybe that would do other things. Yeah, I mean that would be super valuable. So I, I noticed firsthand because I, I come from the world of the Jamstack world, is why I did a podcast and GitHub. The the blog itself was hosted on Jekyll. Um, we sort of grown to that where thirteen hundred people at GitHub at this point. So the content managers sort of said, "Hey, let's just use something that we're familiar with." So we migrated the blog itself to WordPress, and it was mainly because like there was no connection between the people who are not technical and the people who were technical, because everybody who's technical wants to work on the harder problems like adding new buttons to like the pull request or working with GitHub Actions. So we just had to make a very quick decision on either stall the blog or continue the process of. Uh, of GitHub shipping content, so but I see the having some sort of drop in and dashboard directly in your Gatsby or Next uh, site or future React Spa, like that's the bridge to get people just to go ahead and edit that content directly. Right, you know, there's often a battle between developers and non-developers about you know what tool you should use. Like developers, I'm sure wanted to build a static site. Yeah, you said Jekyll, maybe it'd be different going forward. The non-developers are like, give us WordPress. You know, we know how to use that. But you know the way we see content management and web development is that it doesn't need to be a battle between these two groups of people. And what we're the, like the vision we're trying to pay with Tina is a tool that's really good. You know, ten out of ten for both parties. Yeah, like something that makes developers like, oh, this just works so well with my workflow. I can you know build sites how I want to build them. It's still decoupled, and then the editors are like, I get this magical experience. It's amazing, and I can make great content. So how do you, like, I'm curious, Brian, how do you feel about the WordPress shift from Jekyll to WordPress? Uh, to be quite honest, I don't write enough on the blog to care. But if it was my decision, if I was, if I was working on the team that had to make that decision on a technical basis, like I would, I would reach for something like a, a Tina CMS or something to sort of bridge that gap because we're already on the Jamstack to basically add that that drop in replacement. But unfortunately, the timing of this and like we don't have to go way more detail because this is a. Uh, 
some of it is privileged information, but uh, like the decision was made, and like I it doesn't change the way I write blogs because to be honest, GitHub uses GitHub to build GitHub. So like the blog actually starts as a GitHub issue uh, before it even gets to the point that you're actually gonna drop in content, mm-hmm. which is another interesting sort of like. Use case. GitHub's very unique in how we approach uh, problems because we use GitHub for everything. So we might be shoving GitHub sized nails inside of uh, circle <laughs> holes. Dog fooding. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm curious though, how is the data maintained? Uh, so if you're if you have the WYSIWYG Tina CMS that's coming out through the sidebar, like how are those changes reflected? Is that also powered through Git similar to uh, Forestry? Yeah, so currently Tina works with um, Markdown-based content, similar to the way uh, Forestry works with Markdown-based content. We're reading and writing uh, Markdown with front matter files. As you're as you're typing in live editing, it's actually writing out to the file system, uh, and Gatsby's doing its live reload thing, or Next is doing its live reload thing. Uh, and then when you save it, we make a commit and push that to your repo. Yeah, if you check out the video from the demo at the Jamstack conference, you'll see me, you know, editing a site with Tina, and then I just say I put it next to, that next to VS Code, and as I'm editing that site that you're watching update in real time, you see VS Code kind of updating too. So it's it's kind of cool to see for from a developer's perspective that you're you're actually writing to the Markdown files. Yeah. In the future, like as you know, it's super important for developers to have structured content and have it separated from your site. And right right now, like Markdown and Data files is kind of Tina's data store, but in the future, you know, we can see that uh, branching out to other things like a database. So I have to ask too, as well, is that Tina is it open source as well? Like, are people over to see how sort of the sausage is made and how you're sort of making that interaction? Because uh, like editing the code in the browser that edits the code in my local file in VS Code, that's that's pretty unique. Yeah, Tina's open source. You can install it and run it locally in your in your development environment. We're also shipping a CLI uh, that will allow you to run like a Tina serve command, so you can host that in an environment where other people can have access to it. And then we're also shipping a managed hosted solution for that called Tina Teams shortly as well. So when you say a managed, is that also like is Tina also going to have to run on a server, or can I host that on Netlify? Um, no, you wouldn't be able to host it on Netlify. Netlify does um, the build, and then you're you've got the static assets. Gotcha. Um, but just the nature of the way that Gatsby works, there's a lot of processing that happens kind of server side. Yes. So when you're running Gatsby develop, you don't get Markdown in the browser. You get HTML, right? Yes. So when we're running it, Tina requires to free requires you to run it in Gatsby develop mode. Or yeah, same same with Next or you know anything else. Okay, gotcha. So I'm curious. I put in our, our talking points. Like, what's the sort of next generation CMS that? Like, what's the sort of the punch uh, for Tina CMS? So the reason, the whole reason we made Tina was because we saw these kind of second gen static site generators like Gatsby, Next, Gridsome, things like that, and we really felt that they needed a different solution or. That they could really benefit from a different solution, something that was kind of built from the ground up and tailored to work the way that they work. Um, and in doing that, we've been able to, you know, ship a much better editing experience. So, I mean, as far as what makes that next gen is that it's it's really working with those next gen tools. I might be giving giving it away, I guess, but Tina is not a CMS. It's a library for building a CMS into your site, right? It's a toolkit. 
Yeah, but I, I should I should also add though, you know, forestry is a, is a headless CMS that's backed by Git, and we've been just like really close to this whole movement for a long time. And one of the big problems we see in you know when people use our product is the fact that headless CMSs are so decoupled from the site's code that you can't preview a site, or if you can, it's off. It's still like this slow process where um, you know it may take minutes to build your site and see the preview. So it's just like clunky kind of decoupled process and sometimes it doesn't even exist so you know you can imagine as a content editor editing a site with no preview button you're like okay i filled up these form fields and hit save i'm just gonna like kick that over the fence and hope it's okay and then you see it in production and it's not and then you have to like you know do it again and to be honest like this is something that i was really close to for a long time because i've been a freelance uh, web developer for, since the early 2000s and i would build websites for people often wordpress sites and I would sit down and I'd watch them use the CMS, and I would see like this like disconnect as they like the, as they're going between the UI of the CMS and the final website, and they're trying to map the fields from the CMS to a web page of their site. It's just, like to us developers, it sounds like oh, of course it makes total sense. You got structured content that gets used over there. Yeah. But to an editor, it's often not like that. And then the pains of the headless CMS, you know. This was brought back to me recently. We were testing a site with uh, Spotify, and I, and I watched the person in Spotify um, use their C, the forestry CMS for the first time. And I was like, okay, edit some content, click preview, and the preview opened up in the new tab. And they looked at it, and I said, okay, so go back to forestry, and we're going to edit more content. And they're like, I don't know what you mean. And I was like, oh, go back to the editing interface. And they're like, I don't know where to go. And then I said, oh, this person doesn't realize that they're on a new tab, and this is like, you know, they're now looking at the preview of their site. So I said, go up to the tabs and go to the left, the next one over. And she went to it and she was like, oh, okay. You know, like, and, and it, it just reminded me of, this is like what I lived through from, since the early 2000s of just watching people with this disconnect. And Tina CMS kind of solves that problem where it's, it gives the, at the editor the context that they kind of need to create great content. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, it sounds like their, their use case makes a lot of sense too. Like, uh, so... You'd ask the question about the GitHub blog. Like this sounds like that disconnect between just trying to get content out there is painful. And I find that same thing when I go to write markdown content, like for a simple adding an issue or a pull request. Like I always hit that preview tab multiple times and go back and say, oh, well, it actually needs to style this, or I missed a, a curly brace or whatever it was. And I'd go back and forth and to the point where I forget if I've actually published this or not. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll do all that work in the issue, hit the preview tab, I'm like, oh, I'm done. And then forget that I actually never hit save because uh, I see the structured content and in, in, so the preview tab. Right. Not completely one on one Tina CMS, but I could see that sort of that problem. Yeah, to- it totally exists in GitHub. I know what you mean. It doesn't need to be this way with website content editing. It may need to be that way for a GitHub issue. That's for GitHub to worry about. But yeah. we don't feel like it needs to be that way for, for website and content creation. Yeah, so that's fascinating. That so is Tina like, is this going to be another, is this a, a product under forestry, or is this a whole other thing that you're running in parallel? Like, how does how do these live together? Yeah, for now it's a parallel product. Uh, we expect the roadmaps to merge in the future. Like, we expect to open up Tina to the forestry users. But for now, uh, we release it as its own open source project. We're just building, you know, uh, some community and and ma- making progress with it now. But we expect to, those things to merge in the future. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because I'm a I'm on the market for a new. Blog design and editing interface, uh, mainly because I'm, I'm using Middleman mostly out of inertia. So started a blog like six, seven years ago. It works. I could drop in like Netlify CMS. It works. 
but like I'm I'm on the fence because I don't I'm not writing blog posts anymore. So I'm on the fence of like, do I continue to write content there or do I go to a place like Dev2 where it has everything built in naturally or Medium? It's all built in the same experience. And that sounds like that thing that everybody loves about Medium where you just hit the edit button, you write the content, it's there. Like you're not in another admin interface, you're like writing the content live. Did you take a lot of cues from Medium and other interfaces similar? Yeah, like you know, I was saying we had this in-page mode. Well, a lot of that inspiration came from Medium. Uh, you know, we had the initial frustration of like, okay, writing long-form content in this little sidebar kind of sucks. So, you know, after like exploring all options out there, we landed on Medium being kind of like the best experience. Have you used it, Brian? Oh yeah, Medium for sure. Yeah, and the, the editing experience is wonderful. So you know that's kind of what we're borrowing from, and now we're giving kind of developers the ability to empower their teams with a medium-like experience on their sites. But it could be any site, right? Yeah, and this is part of the reason why I'm using paper docs for my podcast notes because, like, the content structured, it renders Markdown as I'm writing it. I'm used to writing Markdown all day, and then things like literally, like I'm looking at the Tina CMS link, like it unfurls, and I can see a rich preview. Like, do you guys have rich previews as far as Tina goes? Uh, no, we don't. Um, so we do have a we do have a WYSIWYG Markdown editor that will translate your Markdown as you go. Okay, something like that would be kind of a like a user choice anyway. Yeah, that may not be what they want to see. And what, what we're trying to do is give them an exact preview of what it will look like when they publish it. So I'm curious with um, well, Tina is not a CMS, so we we figure that out now. So if I were to think I have a workflow and I figured this out and this is what I do. Like, are there options yet to to do plugins? Uh, yeah, so Tina is really just plugins. Okay, it's all built around that notion. Like last night, I was doing. Uh, I did the talked at a meetup in Orlando, and fifteen minutes before the meetup, I was like, "Oh, I should build a custom field for this so I can demo it." And I quickly whipped up a a field that could pull in the the meetup links from the meetup API. And then add those to your front matter, and then so you can have a link on your blog. Plugins are really just React components. You know, we're trying to appeal to developers who are already familiar with these things. Yeah, that's a sounds like a, a great move for getting plugins together. Because if you're if Tina's obviously coming out the gate with Gatsby and Next, you can make assumptions about the users and the developers that are going to be working on this. So I think starting with a small cohort of users. And expanding from that makes a lot of sense. I'm actually really excited to actually try this out. I've been thinking about how to approach my. So I have a blog, but I want to make the my site less focused on blogs because I'm not doing it anymore. But I'm writing tons of code, so I want to have an experience where I can create a portfolio site which has a blog component in the corner. But I can see my each one of my portfolio pieces and, and sites that I'm working on being structured content that could just be. Live editor and design. I'm also really into design right now. Uh, spending some time, which I'll, I'll get to in the picks, learning UI design. Cool. I can't wait to hear that. And then you're still set on keeping content in Markdown and Git. Is that right? I am on the fence of what I need to to do to make it because like keeping stuff in Git and content in Markdown was like the structure that I come from, and it's the easiest for me to wrap my brain around. But I'm also preparing myself to make a site that I'm not going to update every week. So I'm looking to make content that looks good. So whatever limitation or non-limitations that I have to set up for myself to make that happen, like I'm all all ears for that. I love it. Can't wait to see it. Excellent. 
if you don't mind, I guess we'll transition ourselves to picks. I, I really hope that people will try out Tina. Uh, it's awesome that it's open source uh, and that it's working with Gatsby and X. Like, I, I don't go an episode not mentioning Gatsby, and uh, I'm all for having the next folks out here. So hopefully, I'll get I'll reach out to them and have them on the podcast talk about their product or project. I was just going to say that. So, so when we launched this, like a ton of people are asking us for view support, and it's something that we anticipated. And in fact, like Tina's written with the JavaScript core with this a thin React layer. And we we plan to do the same thing with the view layer in the, in the near future. We're just not, you know, we just don't want to commit and set somebody's expectations. But I, you know, you should expect to see a view version of this soon. Excellent. I'm sure a lot of people are uh, looking forward to that. View is, I mean, it's a community that definitely has a lot of support behind it. So yeah, it'd be awesome to see that support come through. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So let's transition the picks. Uh, these are picks that we're jamming on. It could be food related, movies. Code related. I know we just talked about a lot about code, so like, feel free to keep going or tell us about something else. But if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and go first and set the set the pace for the picks. I just recently came back from two weeks in South America, so I had some time in Brazil and had some time in Colombia. I speak Spanish, like I guess college level. I joked in the last episode where I do um, my language is basically survival, so I know enough to survive. Um, but I don't know enough to like, you know, get on stage and start speaking Spanish uh, and talk about technical topics. But I learned of a, a method, which is called Pincer method. I don't know where the origin is from, but the person who told me about it came from the military. And basically, you take these structured sentences, pretty much in the vein of survival mode. Um, so, like, if you want to walk into a store and you want a coffee, you could say like, "Le gustaría café," or "Le gustaría mochila," or "Le gustaría." Boligrapho. But anyway, so I just used that method and I was pretty successful in Colombia, mainly because I already knew a lot of the words. But when I went to Brazil and spoke Portuguese, which I knew none before I got there, I was able to accomplish most of what I needed to get done whenever I stepped outside the hotel. Everything except finding my lost cell phone. Uh, I, all those words are really hard. I could not figure out how to find my cell phone in Portuguese. So I wiped it remotely. It's funny. I, so being from Canada, I speak French like a lot of Canadians. And then I, I did some traveling in Mexico. And the similarities be, between French and Spanish, are, are there are a lot of similarities, unlike English and Spanish. So I found what happened was, you know, I was trying to learn Spanish and I did a poor job of it. I learned a little bit. I, was, I wasn't quite at survival level like you. But I would often just like kick into French mode because my brain would just go to French. And then my girlfriend at the time visited me and she did the same thing. She would just like automatically just snap over to French when somebody spoke Spanish to her. Yeah, I... Um... When I was in Brazil, I'd go to Spanish first just to see what would happen if people could understand me. And I'd say about ninety nine percent of the time, no one knew what I was talking about. <laughs> so the the myth of like the Portuguese and the Spanish language being similar is just like it's un, untrue. <laughs> and I hope uh, save your emails, like uh, your Twitter DMs. I'm just gonna lay out facts and statements and then walk away. <laughs> but yeah, uh, my other pick, really quickly, it was this, I started getting in the sketch. Um, I've always avoided design. And I've recently just sort of jumped into. I had a project which is open source. I've mentioned it quite a few times on this podcast, and I sort of hit a wall of like actually getting the project over the fence, uh, mainly because I didn't have anybody to do design and I didn't know how to do it myself. So while I was stranded in a hotel room trying to, to speak Portuguese, I was also learning how to do design. And like honestly, if you're a developer and you haven't really touched any sort of design thing and you hit a wall, like. It's a couple YouTube videos away um, from learning it, so I I got onto learnui.com, and uh, which is like a structured video series content by some designer, 
and I was ex- successfully able to create some designs, and I'm in the process of converting those to React components in Storybook, which is uh, super awesome. So, try design out. That's my pick. Yeah, sure. The sketch team are, are users of ours. Yeah, so actually, I saw that in the uh, on the I guess the the moose heads is if they call that still. Yeah. Cool, Scott. Do you want to go next? Oh yes. Okay. So uh, mine's like a little less cool, but it's still a pick nonetheless. I became a vegetarian. I shouldn't say I became a vegetarian. I don't like putting myself in a box. I like eat a lot less meat, and I've been doing this for about a year. But I like to cook a lot, and so does my wife. And we have a little daughter too now. So there's a, like we do a lot of cooking at home. And my wife discovered this blog called fullofplants.com, and if it was vegetarian recipes and they're really, really good. And we, we like milk this blog for all it's worth. And it's kind of funny. If you go to the bio, it's, you know, this picture of this guy in France, but if you search online, you can't find anything behind this person. So I think it's kind of, maybe it's the blog is written by an AI or maybe it's a fake person in a different part of the world, but the the recipes are outstanding. And there's one, uh, a lemongrass soup with a, tofu in it that's a really good recipe so if you want like top-notch vegetarian or vegan cuisine i would go to fullofplants.com cool uh, i'm definitely gonna check that out i've got one vegan friend that i claim as a friend so uh, you can impress them yes. you can really impress them with this yeah all the other vegans i know are acquaintances <laughs> <laughs> and you like to keep them like that yeah yeah it, they come into my house we're having bacon <laughs> cool jordan what's your your pick so yeah, my uh, all my survival languages are programming languages. So I can survive in uh, I can survive in Python and I can survive in C and whatnot. But excellent, you can code yourself uh, out of a box. Yeah, I don't know my I have no uh, spoken survival languages, unfortunately. Uh, and I eat lots of meat, so mine's completely unrelated. Is what I'm getting at. <laughs> I have a pretty big um, gaming collection retro car- consoles and stuff like that and uh, I also have a an 8 year old who loves playing them and so this past winter uh, I decided I didn't have enough of a collection or it just wasn't quite complete and uh, we, my son and I built a uh, custom arcade cabinet with like you know joysticks and buttons and all sorts of things it's powered by a raspberry pi that runs uh, RetroPie. Anyway, I came and found RetroPie, and uh, it's pretty incredible. And I, it's just one of those things where it's hard to believe that so many people put in, you know, so much time in making this free and open source and so, so easy to use and uh, so fun, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. I've actually played one of those two times in my life. One was uh, at Code School. Back in the day, CodeSchool.io, they bought by Pluralsight. They had one in their office. And the other one was at GitHub, actually. Uh, before I actually joined GitHub, I was there for an event and they had a RetroPie downstairs and a full on cabinet. And they had like, uh, went even went all out and had like designs, like actually spray painted on the side with Octocats. But um, <laughs> when I joined GitHub, it wasn't there. So I'm not really sure what happened to it. So if anybody at GitHub knows what happened to that, let me know. But yeah, I, I also have a, a small child and spent a lot of time doing retro gaming, which I, I think I, I mentioned from the podcast as well. But yeah, from my Mac with the Wii controller. Uh, so didn't actually build anything, just sort of bought a Wii controller. Yeah. I found some like rough plans of like an arcade cabinet on, I think, Instructables or something like that. Uh, nice. Uh, and then I have, I have a really good friend who's a, who's a good artist. He painted it all up and we named it and it turned out really awesome. And my son loves showing it off to his friends. Yeah, you're the coolest kid in the neighborhood. Exactly. 
That's awesome. That's uh, uh, what I've learned in fatherhood is always try to make your kids as cool as possible by being cooler than them. <laughs> right, because I'm sure that's the way your kids see it. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm just going to live by that. So I, I just keep getting older and cooler, and he just keeps getting cooler and older as well. So with that being said, I'll go ahead and end that there before I sort of uh, dig my hole even deeper. But yeah, uh, thanks for coming on and talking about Tina CMS and touching a little bit about forestry and like the sort of the future of non-structured content on Gatsby and Next. So yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Thanks. And listeners, uh, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 